I'll start over on verse 10. With a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who was given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. So a couple things before we start. There's so much here, and each, each one of these blessings could be a whole sermon, so we're going to kind of do like a flyover view of these blessings. And also, as you were following along, you might have noticed how, depending on your translation, the periods were in weird places, like not where the verses start and things like that. The reason is because this whole section is one sentence, right? This is probably what Peter was talking about when he talked about Paul's writings being difficult. This is just all one sentence. And so the translators have tried to break it up into, into chunks to help us better understand, and it's just it's a little difficult. So people have different ideas about where sentences, where ideas stop and the next one starts. And so if you have the NASB, that's basically what I'm going to be following as far as sentence structure here. So that might help you if you're following along. Um, so just a little bit of background. As believers, one of our charges from God is to evangelize, right, and make disciples. And if you are a parent, you have a unique opportunity to do this, mainly because we're with our kids so often. We have so many opportunities to share the gospel, um, to talk with them about what true repentance and faith looks like, and to just continue that conversation for years. And it, it's a huge blessing. And one of the common themes with, with my children are questions about how do I know if, I'm, if I've actually believed and I've actually repented? How, how do I know? And so the common thing to do is say, well, look for fruit. And that's, that, that's what my kids know. So that's what they do. But then they, are, they always see themselves sinning and disobeying their parents, and it's hard. And so they struggle. How do I know? And one of the things that I've tried to help them with is, okay, let, let's go back. Let's go back to where you think you were converted and that repentance and faith. Did you really do that? And, you know, this is what Jesus did too. This is, as people tried to follow him, he, he told them immediately, count the cost. You know, you need to hate your brother and your mother. You need to uh, take up your cross. You need to give up your will to follow me. Are you actually willing to do that? So that, that's one thing that we would go to, right? When you, when you say you've repented, have you actually counted the cost? Have you actually said, I will give up my will to follow Christ? And that's a, a big thing that we need to work through. Um, in fact, J.C. Ryle in his book, Holiness, says, a religion that costs nothing is worth nothing. And so we need to make sure that we, when we present the gospel, we help people realize that. This isn't this, uh, let me just get a savior. That's not what believing in the gospel is about, um, the only thing that it's about. But there's another side to this. You can, you can urge people to count the cost, but you can also urge them to count the blessings. And so that's really what brings me to this text, is that when I'm trying to help my kids through this, you know, count the cost, but also count the blessings. Look at the riches in Christ as you consider giving up your own will, bearing your cross to follow him. And so that's really what, what we want to do today. Paul's writing to believers through this text. I hope that you, as a believer, have a deeper understanding of your position in Christ as we read through this, and that 
and also the spiritual blessings that you have in him, and that brings you to praise. That's, that's the reason Paul starts this off. Praise God because of these things. And if you're not a believer, I hope that you will count the blessings that you can have in Christ, and that would motivate you to, to truly repent of your sins and put your faith in Christ. So as we get into this, I've titled this Praise God for Your Spiritual Blessings in Christ. Um, after Paul's introduction in the first couple verses, we come to verse 3. And he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. If you have the NIV, it starts out, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So again, Paul wants us to praise God. That's what he's wanting the Ephesians to do. Praise God because he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. So every spiritual blessing that you have is from God. He's the giver of those blessings, so our praise should be directed to him. And so three other times through this passage, he says the same thing. Praise God because of these blessings. So it's an important part of what Paul's trying to to get across. Um, And then, so so verse 3 is really the intro to this section. Praise God for all these spiritual blessings. And then if you look at the beginning of verse 4, it says, just as. So it's basically, here's the list of the spiritual blessings. It's not comprehensive, but here's the ones Paul's, Paul's hitting on right now. And he, he lists five of them. Um, election, predestination, redemption, revelation of God's mystery, and then that he granted us an inheritance. And so that's, that's our outline for the day. It, it's up here if you want to copy it down. And so these are the five blessings that we'll be talking about this morning. And there's actually a progression here. So if you see that the first two, election and predestination, are things that took place before time began, before creation. And then after creation, he provided Christ, right? That's where we find our redemption, who we find our redemption in. And he's also revealed his mystery. We'll talk about what that mystery is. So that, happened, that happened, is happening now in time. And then the fifth and final blessing is the future, Right, this inheritance that we will all have in the end when God makes all things new and we are with him, glorified. Okay, so let's, let's jump in. So the first blessing here is that he chose us to be holy and blameless. He chose us to be holy and blameless. So verse 4 says, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. So again, just as is like the word since. So praise God for all these blessings since he's done all these things for you, these five, given you these five blessings. And so when it says that God chose us, what this means is that he, it's very simple, he just made a choice. God simply chose who would be holy and blameless before him. So sometimes we call this election. And so this verse can answer some questions about that. Uh, three, three questions in particular. So first, where did he choose us, or in whom did he choose us? And the verse tells us it's in him, in Christ. In other words, God's plan is the only way for us to be holy and blameless is through his son. That's his plan. That's how we can be holy and, holy and blameless, just through his son. There's no other path, no other person to follow. He is it. This is God's ordained way. And through him, we were made holy and blameless. And so that culminates, of course, in the end um, when we become glorified. Uh, but also we have this progressive time where we're being sanctified, where we become more holy and blameless. But he, really he's looking to the future, right? He wants the church to be pure, and he's going to make the church holy for his son. And so that was what he decided to do before time began, before creation. Um, and that brings us to this the second thing that this 
tells us is when did he choose us? It says before the foundation of the world. So this is before anything existed. Before anything existed, God knew you. He knew about you. Jeremiah 1.5 says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I've appointed you a prophet to the nations. So we see in Jeremiah's life, he knew Jeremiah before, before Jeremiah existed. And he even appointed him as to what he would do. So this is what God's choosing is like. And then finally, it tells us, why did he choose you? What purpose did he choose you? And that is so that you can be holy and blameless before him, that you would be pure, consecrated to God, set apart, without blemish and without fault. And so how can all this be? Because obviously we're not like this, right? We can't do this ourselves. Again, it's because we are in Christ. That is the only way this can be. It's our position in Christ. We work towards this in our lives, of course, through sanctification, but then it's fully uh, comes about when Christ comes back and we are glorified. So Colossians 1, 21 speaks to this a little more. It says, And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engage in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. So this is what we were chosen for, to be presented to Christ holy and blameless beyond reproach. God chose us before the world began for this end that we haven't seen yet. So when you, when you think about this blessing, is this something that people have difficulty praising God for? For this choosing? So some people are nodding their heads. Yeah, it, it is, right? In fact, these first two blessings are difficult a lot of times for people to praise God for. His choosing, election, and predestination. So why is that? Why is that difficult to, to submit to? Yeah. Yeah, so if he chose me, did he choose other people that I love? Right, that's a big question mark, Stephen. Yeah, that's a hard, it's a hard thing to, to think about. Any other reasons that you can think of why it's so difficult to, to praise God for this spiritual blessing? Because, yeah. Yeah, definitely. It, 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 it goes against our independence and our idea that, you know, we can make our own way and, um, and we can decide for ourselves what to do. Anything else on that? Marvin?
Ya. Yeah, he, he definitely could have, but, but he didn't, right? He didn't do that. He created us. And, but like one of the big pictures that this tells us is that even in that, even before he created, he knew that we would fall, that we would sin, that we would need someone to save us, and, and he planned all that out, right? He, I mean, even this first blessing, who did he choose us in? In Christ. So he already knew that Christ, his son, was going to come down on the cross, he'd punish his son for our sins, and that he'd put people in him as for salvation. And so, um, and, and then we also, as we go through this, we'll see, but we get a picture of, of like you said, his character and how that, um, how that made him do these things, right? His kindness, his grace, and we'll, we'll get into that. Um, but, but, yeah, I mean, it... You're right. God, God is sharing His goodness with us through this, and it's a it's a wonderful thing. So, okay, let's say you you kind of get over that hurdle, and and you you can praise God for this. So you you humble yourself before Him, and um, you you believe these doctrines. So, what are some of the benefits of praising God for this blessing of His choosing us? Yeah, so you continue in your humbleness in one sense, yeah, and and that definitely spreads out into more of your life, right? Um, as you realize that God God's sovereignly in control, and it helps you to uh, when things don't go your way to believe other verses about how um, all things are for our good, right? How how can that be if God's not actually all in control of all things? So, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, it is. that he chose us as sons and we'll, we'll get into that in a couple points a little bit more um so also i think that uh, coming to praise god for these doctrines um it, it this is what god's really like right so if we're praising him we want we want to praise him because of the truth because of what his word says he is not because of something we've made up about him and so anytime we can praise God for truth, that's true worship. That's true praise. And so we want to be there. We want to be there in our doctrine so that we're praising God for the truth. So that's the first spiritual blessing that God has chosen us to be holy and blameless. And the next blessing is somewhat similar, but that he predestined us to adoption as his children, uh, like Marvin was just talking about. 
So Ephesians 1.5 says, and I'm going to steal the two words from verse 4, in love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. So here, predestined means to decide upon beforehand, to determine ahead of time. Uh, this predestination happened along with his choosing or his election of us. God had settled in his mind that for those he chose, he would also adopt as his own children. Um, so as his own children, we are both his possession as our father and also heirs along with Christ. So Romans 8.15 says, For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which you cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And of children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. So if we are heirs, what do we gain? What is our inheritance? And the last blessing that we'll talk about goes into that, our inheritance. Uh, but in short, it is that God would take possession of what is his, a, a pure people, right? That's what he's working for, working towards, making us holy and blameless. So he has a pure people that he puts in a perfect world with our Savior. That's, that's, the, that's what it means to be a son of God. Our inheritance is glorified bodies being in heaven with our Savior. So God pre God's predestination of us for adoption as sons assures the redemption of our body, this last blessing that we'll talk about today, our glorification. So all the phrases around this main point of this sentence about God's predestination teaches us more about God. And so we've got uh, three of those. So the first is that he predestined in love. So I, I stole those two words from verse 4 uh, that go along with this idea but this is the agape love. So it's an affection, warm regard, and interest for another. This is how God felt about you. If you're a believer, this is how God felt about you before the world began. He had an affection for you. He also predestined according to the kind intention of his will. So his kind intention means that God favored those he predestined. Right? We had some divine favor with God. Not because of us, not because of works we did, but because of his choice. And this is how God felt. And this is God's uh, the, a character trait of his will. His goodwill drove him to predestine us, his kindness. So he also predestined to the praise of the glory of his grace. Um, so again, God's adoption of us as children should drive us to praise him. Right? This is really Paul's point through this passage as he brings up all these spiritual blessings. But there are three key words here, praise, glory, and grace. We should praise him for the glory of his grace. So that kind of brings up two questions. What's his grace, and how does that show his glory? So let's talk about that. What, what's God's grace? Unmerited favor, yep. That was, what were you going to say, Jesse? Yeah, that's a, that's a nice way to sum it up. God's unmerited favor. It's favor that's not earned or warranted for any reason. It's very different than how we like to show favor towards someone. Um, we might show favor because we want someone to like us, maybe because we fear someone else, um, fear of man. We might desire a certain reputation, so we, we give grace to people. We might desire to get something in return, so we give grace to people. Right? This is nothing like God's grace. God's grace isn't like this at all. He, he chose to show favor because it's his character. 
He enjoys showing favor to people on, his, on people that he created. So it also says here that he freely bestowed uh, that grace on us. So again, we didn't pay for it or earn it. And it is through Christ, the beloved, so that his predestination isn't due to our work, but it is due to somebody's work, the beloved's, right? It's Jesus' work on the cross that earned our salvation. So there's a common argument or common belief about how this election predestination works, that God looks, looks into the future to see your faith, and then he chooses based on that foreknowledge. But that's not what this is saying, is it? He does look in the future. He does look towards someone's work. But whose work is he looking towards? It's Christ's work. It's his son's death on the cross that he looks towards, and he he chose and predestined us in him before time began. That's amazing. And he he gets into that in in this third point about the redemption that we have in Christ. He looked forward to his son's work on the cross. So how does this grace that he gives show his glory? And when you think about this, think about uh, glory as splendor, radiance. So think about a, a diamond, like a big, beautiful diamond. It just shines, it reflects light, it's brilliant, right? So as we think about God's grace that we've experienced, that we've seen, that we read about in Scripture, how does that show his radiance? How does that show his glory? Yeah. Yeah. So many of his attributes are on display, right? Through through salvation. And and it, it highlights how different he is from us, right? How his character is so different than fallen humanity. Anything else that you can think of as far as um, how his grace shows his glory? highlights his glory. Marvin? Yeah, so Marvin said it highlights the, the purity of his character, his goodness, and I definitely agree. Um, so let's praise God for his glory um, shown in the grace that he's shown us in both his predestination and this election that we, that we have, that we have as blessings as believers. So the third spiritual blessing is redemption. So he redeemed us through Christ's blood. He redeemed us through Christ's blood. So verse 7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. So to have this redemption, just like the earlier blessings, we have to be in Christ. Only in Christ are these blessings found, and no one else can you find it. And so this word redemption is only found ten times in the New Testament, and sometimes it means that uh, we're awaiting something like the redemption of our inheritance that it talks about later in this passage. It's something that we know is going to happen, but we're still waiting for it. 
um, but it's not the case uh, here. In this case, we have redemption now. We have redemption now in Christ, according to this verse. It's present tense. Here, redemption means freedom or liberation from enslavement by a payment. So when God redeems us, he breaks us free from slavery to sin so that we can now obey God and from the result of sin, that's suffering God's wrath, right? Death and hell. But for this redemption, there needed to be a payment. So according to this verse, um, how are we redeemed? What, it's in the verse, you can look. How are we redeemed according to this verse? Yeah, through Christ's blood. There wasn't anything special about this blood, about Christ's blood. If you got a vial of it and put it on yourself, nothing would happen. But Paul's point is that he died. He shed his blood. He gave up his life. Mark 10.45 says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. The price for our redemption was Jesus' death. That's what, that's what it cost God, is Jesus' death for us to be redeemed. So what does this redemption accomplish, according to this verse? Yeah, the forgiveness of our sins. Our sin requires punishment, but because Christ took that punishment, because he atoned for it when he died, God forgives us of our sin so that we won't be punished. We won't pay the cost of our sin because Christ did. And Paul gives a connection between this spiritual blessing and God's character, just as he's, he does throughout this whole passage. But he tells us why God granted this redemption. And it says, He redeemed us because of the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. What great wealth we have, right? Being in Christ. The riches of his grace. Again, the unearned favor from God that he gives us in such abundance. So that's the, the third blessing that we have in Christ. So the fourth blessing here is that he made known to us the mystery of his will. So in verse 9 and 10 it says, In all wisdom and insight he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention which he purposed in him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in heavens, things in the heavens, and things on the earth. So what is the, the mystery of his will? So if you flip over a page to Ephesians 3, Paul, Paul tells us what he's talking about. Um, so we'll read uh, Ephesians 3, 1 through 10. So Ephesians 3, 1 says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to, to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body, and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel, of which I was made a minister, according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given, to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ, and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things. So that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. So what's the mystery that God revealed to us? 
according to this passage? Did you, did you pick it up? Yeah, Gentiles are fellow heirs. So, so six, he sums it up well in six. The Gentiles are fellow heirs, fellow members of the body, fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And we'll get into this a little bit more in the final blessing, but in the early church, you know, the Gentiles and the Jews, there was some conflict. It was difficult for them to relate to one another. Um, and so that God would do this is a really big deal. And it was, it was hinted at through the Old Testament. Um, but how he would do it, the, the fullness of how he would do it wasn't clear. And so this mystery was revealed through Christ and then through Paul that he accepted Gentile Christians into, into, his, into the body. Um, so verse 2, or these two verses here have some, again, supporting phrases that help us understand more about the, this main idea that he revealed this mystery. Um, and, and this mystery being uh, something that, that was unknown but is now revealed. Right, that's what he's saying, that the mystery's been revealed. So the first thing that this verse tells us is the character behind the revelation, the character of God behind the revelation, the, the wisdom, insight, and kindness that this passage talks about. And even this wisdom is talked about in chapter 3, too, as, as we read, if you noticed. Um, so God did this in his wisdom and insight. This was God's uh, plan from the, from the beginning, right? Before, uh, before he created, before time began, he not only chose Jews to save, but he also chose Gentiles. And so he knew that this was going to happen, that he'd pick a people for himself, the Israelites, but that when their Messiah came, he wouldn't just be a savior for them, but also the whole world, right? And we, we see that in Genesis 12, 3, where he says, and I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So again, we see hints of this through the Old Testament, but it's revealed fully um, through this text, through Christ, through Paul. So this shows God's kind intention as well, that he gives divine favor to people. He showed his kindness through the plan of salvation that he planned beforehand for his son to die for our sins. Um, you see that because in verse 9 he says, according to his kind intention when she purposed in him. Right? Again, he's talking about Christ. So this kind intention is all fleshed out through the work that his son did so that we can be saved, so that we can have that redemption. So the next detail that we see here is about um, the ultimate goal of this revelation of the mystery, and that's the summing up of all things in Christ. So it says God revealed this mystery with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times, um, and then he, he, he restates the same thing just in a different way the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. So God accepted Gentiles as Christians with a view to the end, when all his work was done in redemption and salvation, when Christ would sovereignly rule over all, having completed his judgment over all. This is looking towards that time. So 1 Corinthians 15 speaks about this, speaks about what Christ will do in the end, and it, we'll read some of that. So 1 Corinthians 15, 20 says, but now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. 
but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, after that those who are, are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end, when he hands over the kingdom of God and Father, when he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and power, is what Christ is doing. For he must reign, that's Christ, until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy that, we ab- that will be abolished is death. So when Paul is talking about the summing up of all things in Christ, he's talking about all this, all that Christ will do at the end. So he will have all rule and authority and power. He'll put everybody under his feet. He will, he will take his rightful place as the king of all, right? And there will be heaven on earth, and we will be there with him. And so if you think about God choosing Gentiles before time, before creation, sent Christ so that we can be saved, we can have redemption, right? All this is looking forward to that, to, to the end. That's his goal. That's what he's working towards, to redeem people. And that's all summed up in Christ as the king and his kingdom on earth. So how can we praise God for this spiritual blessing? Again, that's our command, right? Praise God for all these things. So how, do we, how can we praise God for this spiritual blessing of revealing this mystery? Uh, to us Gentiles. How can we praise God for that? Both. Yeah, so it gives us assurance, right, of, of the end and what it will be like, yeah. So you can praise God for that. Then, yeah, yeah, definitely. It's really neat to see uh, just God's wisdom through from from before everything to the very end. He's in control of everything. He's planned everything out. He's working towards a goal, and He's included us in that, which is astounding. Um, any other uh, thoughts on how He might praise God because of this blessing, Jessica? Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. Um, yeah, we we want to. So God, God could save us, and we not know about these doctrines, right? Because um, in our in the last one about inheritance, he he says what you do need to do to be saved, uh, believe in Christ. So it could have just been all he told us about was Christ and his uh, work on the cross and what that accomplished. He didn't have to tell us these other things that he did, but he he did tell us them, right? He did reveal us reveal to us these the fullness of uh, his plan and I'm sure there's a lot he didn't include here but what we do have should bring us to praise should just make us think about God even more highly um, yeah. okay so our final blessing is that he granted all believers an inheritance and that's in verses 11 through 14 so it says in him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who are the first hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. So this final blessing is an inheritance. An inheritance in the kingdom of God. You know, we, we sum it up as saying eternal life a lot of times. Um, but there's, there's, you can flesh that out. There's a lot to that. And so as heirs, sons of the one true God, as we talked about back in verse 5, this inheritance is obtain, obtained from God. And so he, he portions out this inheritance to all of his children, uh, the kingdom of God. So we will be part of the kingdom of God. When all things are made new and everything is perfect in heaven, we will be made perfect too, and we will have a place in heaven with Jesus. So 1 Peter 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, preserved in heaven for you. So just like God choosing us to be holy and blameless, he also predestined us, that's what this verse says, as, as his children, he also predestined us to have this inheritance. So why, according to this verse, did he give us this inheritance? And verse 11 tells us that. It's because he, he does what he wants. That's what this says. He is sovereign and he does his will. You're a believer because of his sovereign will, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. So whatever he wants to do, he does. That's what this verse is saying to us. No one can thwart him. No one can take him off track. No one can overpower God. He's sovereign over all things. So in this passage, Paul makes, he makes an interesting point. 
<clears throat> and I think he does this because he's trying to bring unity to the church. Remember what we talked about, Jews and Gentiles struggled to relate to one another because he, in verse 12, he kind of takes a step back. So this, through this whole passage, he's been talking about um, just all of us, all, all believers, you know, everyone in the Ephesians church, and he was including himself in that group. But then in verse 12, he takes, takes a step back and he says, we, so if you think about like Paul talking to them, he, he says, we, who were the first to hope in Christ, so he's making a distinction all of a sudden, talking about himself as a Jew and the, and the other Jews who were the first to hope in Christ. Um, and then in verse 13, he goes back to the Gentiles. He says, you also. So he's talking back to the Gentiles. And then in verse 14, he kind of talks about all believers again. He says, us. And so the points that he's making about each of those groups are true for all the groups. But he's, he's just trying to make a point that, um, that that's the case that the Jewish believers have the same inheritance that the Gentile believers have. And so he, as he's doing that, he talks about really three details that concern our common inheritance, so the common inheritance that Jews and Gentiles have. So we're not going to get too much into the why did he separate that out and, and things like that. We don't have time. But we can talk about um, the details surrounding this inheritance. So the first detail is that those who gained this inheritance put their hope in Christ. So the Jewish believers were the first hope in Christ. Um, they hoped for redemption, right? They hoped for the forgiveness of their sins in Christ. They put their faith in Christ 100% in his person and work. The Gentile believers did the same thing, but Paul describes their hope in a little more detail. So he says uh, they listened to the gospel, the good news, the message of truth, and they believed it. So, so what does this mean? It means that they heard the facts about Christ, so, so they listened to the facts. They had that knowledge of the facts. And then that they believed the facts were true, so they didn't think, oh, this is false, this can't be right. They, be they believed it was true. And then there was this final step of belief and, that, and trust, and that, that's really the, that's the main point. That's what you have to do when you believe. You actually have to trust in Christ and the work that he did for your salvation. If you just do the first two things, if, if you believe that Jesus was real, that he died on the cross, um, the demons believe that, right? That, that doesn't save you. You have to actually put your trust in what he did. That's what this belief means when he's talking about what the Gentiles did. And so they, they first heard the gospel and they were able to, to do this, put their belief in Christ. So also... Um, those who believed were sealed by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, he's the third person of the Trinity. He's fully God. He comes and indwells us at our conversion. When we believe, he comes and indwells us. One of the purposes in his indwelling is to seal us in Christ. So we, we've kind of hit on this. All these blessings are in Christ, right? You can't find them anywhere else. Um, but this is, uh, it, it's an interesting uh, blessing in Christ because it, it marks us as his that's what that's what this says right let me pull it back here um, you are sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise so it, it declares something about us it declares that we're in Christ that we're um, we're stamped with God's approval that we're his and his alone no one can take us from him. So it's kind of like a seal on a letter, 
Um, it declares who the letter is from and whose words were inside. And you can kind of stick with this analogy a little bit for here, and I'm sure it, I'm sure it breaks down at some point. But if you think about a letter, in this case, Christ would kind of be like the envelope. This, the wax seal would be the Holy Spirit, and we would be the letter inside, right? So we are in Christ, sealed with the Holy Spirit. So we're in Christ, and we're sealed. You know that the the stuff inside is declared as God's. We're His. We're His possession. And and in that, the his, all his promises will come true for us because we're his, because we're his possession. So he will, he will take us as his final pure possession at the end. So those who believe are sealed by the Holy Spirit. So the third detail here is that God is glorified in our inheritance. God is glorified in our inheritance. So as in many of these other blessings, Paul explicitly states here, um, the first Jewish believers hoped in Christ, and that was to the praise of his glory. And that the Holy Spirit was given to believers as a seal is to the praise of God's glory. So again, these two, these two facts should bring us to praise, bring us to praise God. And why? Why should that be? Well, it shows that it is because of his work that we're all saved. It's because of his work um, that the Jewish believers first put their hope in Christ. And the same for the Gentiles. It's the reason that they believed it also tells us that he keeps his word. So he, he seals us in Christ, saying that he will keep this promise that he made, and he will do it surely. And so there's something else that we can praise him for. So these are the five spiritual blessings that um, Paul outlines here. They're not, it's not an exhaustive list, but he was trying to get the Ephesians to understand who they were in Christ and to be able to praise God for that. So if you're a believer, I hope that that helps you understand your position in Christ and that you can better and more appropriately praise God because you better understand these spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. And also, as you evangelize, you can use this as a tool. So when you ask your children or anyone who you're witnessing to and that you have an extended time um, to talk to about these things, ask them to count the costs and also ask them to count the blessings, right? So you can come to this passage for that. And so if you're not a believer... Note first that you have to be in Christ to have these things. If you're not in Christ, none of these things are for you. And also, God never instructs you, if you're an unbeliever, to, to try to figure out, are you elect, are you predestined for you to believe? That's not his command to you. His command is to believe, to repent of your sin. And so consider these blessings as you consider repenting. Consider all of these blessings as the benefits of following Christ, as you also count the cost. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for all these spiritual blessings. We know that apart from you, apart from Christ, we would have none of these things. We would, we would not have redemption. And Father, we thank you so much for all of these blessings and for all of the uh, work that you did, all of the uh, even difficulties in Christ dying on the cross, the cost that, that you paid for us to be saved. Father, we, we thank you for that, and we, we praise you for just the wonderful grace that you have shown in, in all these ways, and these wonderful gifts and blessings that you've given us. I pray that you help us to praise you appropriately um, through this week and the weeks ahead as we meditate and think on these things, and I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.